Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hello, church. Uh, It's, as always, just a real gift to be here with you and uh, worship together. Just invite God to work on us. I'm just going to invite you to that right now, just kind of wherever you're at. Maybe uh, flip whatever mental switch or switch in your heart that just allows him to do some work. Maybe it's encouraging. Maybe it's directing. Um, we're just going to jump right in today because we've got a lot of ground to cover. But I want to talk to you today about what it is to experience God's peace right in the middle of difficult circumstances. Some of you in the room today are in the middle of some difficult stuff right here and right now. Others of you can remember a time where uh, it was bleak or it seemed really challenging. You didn't know how you were going to get through. Um, if you're in neither of those categories, just wait, because eventually some rough stuff's going to come, and that's the way it just seems to roll. I thought I had it made, because for a while, um, I lived in San Luis Obispo, California. Oh, if you're not real familiar, Jesus has a timeshare right there in uh, San Luis Obispo. It is the most spectacular central coast. I mean, we were just at the ocean all the time. I mean, it, it's, it's as close to Hawaii without being in Hawaii as you can get. This is an actual picture of San Luis Obispo. Um, it just minutes from our house, we'd go there all the time and just enjoy the, the, the glory of San Luis Obispo, California. We lived it up there. And we lived there until uh, the Lord called us to Chandler, Arizona. Chandler, Arizona. He called us into our wilderness season, and uh, it was bleak. If you're not real familiar, I took a picture of Chandler. Here's a picture of Chandler. Um, That's my wife there about two months in. She just said I quit, laid down, and about five minutes later, she was an actual skeleton. It was it's a brutal sort of place to live, and it entered kind of a season where just things were, were tough, you know, and uh, some of you experienced those seasons, and, and we kind of know the spectrum. Sometimes uh, a, a difficult set of circumstances are, you know, kind of a minor hassle, minor inconvenience. Maybe it is just something kind of lame. You don't like where you're living for a particular period of time or whatever, um, Other, though, there are difficult circumstances that you and I face that are not minor, they're major. And they might be actual trauma. It might be some horrific event that you went through. It might be a really long season that was a result of maybe something that you uh, put yourself in that place or it was at the hand of somebody else that was incredibly traumatic. Maybe it's just been a long financial Whatever it is, we all will experience the difficult circumstances of life. It's a part of this world. I mean, when we come into this world, the the minute that we're born into this world, what's the first thing that you and I do? That's it. 
and then we come into the world crying, and then the first thing that someone does to us is smack us in the bum. And that's just a sign for the direction that this whole existence is going to be, and getting smacked around. That's life before Jesus. And so deal with it, you know? The, the reality is it is a roller coaster, and it can be so challenging. And, and the real problem is that when we get to this broken down, beat up world and experience enough of life's difficult circumstances, it seems like contentment and peace come under attack. As soon as circumstances shift, then our contentment starts to wane, our peace seems to go with it. And that's why a conversation for a few weeks on how we can experience peace and choose peace and receive the peace of God in this incredibly broken, difficult, anxious world, I think is really, really valuable. Because it is possible for you and I to have peace, a real peace that lasts even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Here's the key. The key is contentment isn't living without any difficult circumstances. That, that's not the sum total of contentment. But rather, contentment is learning to have peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, this is not an easy learning curve because we all want to have peace even when life isn't peaceful, we want to experience God's contentment and God's peace even when stuff is difficult, but where do we get that peace? Where do we find that peace? Well, we're American, I'll tell you where you find it. We buy it. Most of us, when we start to feel peace and contentment drifting, we go out and we buy us some peace. We buy us some contentment. We overeat, we overspend, we overperform, we overwork, and we try to fill up whatever is lacking in our contentment with stuff or things or activities or people or experiences to bring us the contentment and peace that now we find is drifting off. The, the, the rain of difficult circumstances starts coming down, and we grab for these lame little things, think they'll protect us from the rain of difficult circumstances. It's like right in the middle of a difficult circumstance, we grab, oh, maybe, maybe sugar will help. No, that's not helping. I need more than that. Oh, maybe some new shoes would help. Oh, no, 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 maybe, maybe a new car would help with the sugar and the new shoes. Nope, that didn't do it. Maybe, maybe, no, not her, maybe her. Maybe her, or maybe multiple hers, or, you know, a digital her? Did that hit too close? We just trade them, and we go about doing this, and it's ridiculous because no thing, and actually no other human being, can provide for our deepest needs, like the stuff that, 
our soul is longing for, the stuff that attacks the contentment and peace in our soul. God has more for me and you than just superficial, quick fix, temporary sort of peace. He has a peace and a contentment that goes right down to our hearts. And it's not that like stuff is, is inherently evil, but it's that thing of when, when you and I try to find our soul contentment in stuff, if we're trying to find our only peace in other people or experiences or material possessions, that's when we're gonna get into trouble. And that's the great journey that the enemy would love to keep us on that treadmill of trying to find peace and contentment in stuff and experiences in people rather than the only one who can actually bring what our soul desires, especially in the middle of challenging circumstances. It's God. It's Jesus. And I know a ton of you here, you already have a relationship with Jesus. A ton of you online already have a relationship with Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that, but but can your relationship with him grow? Do you really enjoy him? Do you appreciate him? In, In what you get in your relationship with Jesus, does that trump the the challenges and the difficulties? Does the love that you experience on a regular basis from Jesus, does what he speak to your heart and your soul in the middle of the challenges, is it more tangible than the pain or the hurt, the difficulty? It hasn't always been that case for me. I know it takes time for me to learn what it is to be in relationship with Jesus and experience, I'm still learning to lean into the contentment and and allow him to love me that way. How, How about you? I'm often so busy making other things love me that I don't let Jesus love me and it's really left me wanting. There's so many people throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, all the way through the New, that went through some horrendous stuff. I mean, real legitimate challenges and difficult circumstances. And yet, they had a relationship with God that was so real and so tangible that they were allowed to weather that storm, that they could feel the peace and the contentment even in the midst of circumstances that were anything but peaceful or contented. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament was one of those guys. He had had this amazing, transformative experience with Jesus. Jesus rescued Paul. And then Paul started this understanding of more and more of who Jesus was and what he had done, and it became very tangible. And that's a good thing, because Paul went through some challenging things. And Paul came to a place where he learned about where real peace and real contentment come from. 
that they didn't come from stuff or experiences or even other human beings, but rather from Jesus himself. And in Philippians chapter four, he gives us some good words. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to Philippians. Go to chapter four. We're back in this amazing book, in this amazing chapter again, just verses after what we looked at last week. And Paul's writing this letter to these believers in Philippi who they themselves were experiencing difficult circumstances. And Paul, having learned what contentment can look like and peace can look like even through challenging stuff, is trying to help them in their journey. And he writes these words in Philippians chapter four, verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. See, it turns out that Paul is writing this letter to believers that he cared about from prison. Now, I'll listen to somebody who's trying to teach me about how to get through difficult circumstances when they've been through some stuff. Because if you haven't been through anything, then I don't know. But, but Paul went through some stuff. He's writing this letter having learned an awful lot about difficult circumstances and where Jesus shows up in them from jail. And yet, even in the midst of jail, he's been blessed because the believers in Philippi had sent him a financial gift, a financial blessing. And that, that was a blessing because he had some legitimate need, but it wasn't his deepest need. Listen to what he says. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Friends, brothers and sisters, how many of you would love to learn how to be content whatever the circumstances? I, I wanna learn that. I'm still learning that. I think most of us wanna learn that. And listen to what he says. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then here's the secret that he's learned. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The secret of contentment is not in what God provides. The secret of contentment is in him, Jesus, who provides whatever he provides. The secret that Paul has learned is contentment doesn't come with a lot of stuff or no stuff. It doesn't come when everything's good or when everything's bad. Contentment and peace come in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that? Is that your experience yet? Maybe in brief seasons. For some of you, I know it's probably been longer. You, you, 
you really feel that way and sense that on a consistent basis. But what I have learned is that sometimes it takes a whole lot of difficult experiences before I wake up to the fact that all these things aren't going to bring me the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and the contentment that I have been longing for. It was here all along in Jesus. It was here all along in my relationship with God. Why? Because there's no amount of sugar that can do what my soul needs. There's no amount of cars or relationships or status that can meet my deepest needs. Only your creator can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And when we get into the difficult circumstances, we're going, I don't have this and I don't have that. And we reach out to try to go numb ourselves out. And all the while, I think Jesus is going, I've got what you really need. It might have taken difficult circumstances for you to awaken to that. But I've got what you really need. What you need is to sense the love of your creator deep down in here like you've never sensed before. You need to experience his love. The one that knows you best, loves you most, do you know that? We need to experience a sense of worth and value that can only come from our maker. No other person is equipped to allow you to sense that. Only he can. Only Jesus can provide the cleansing and the forgiveness and the freedom that we need in here. No other human being can do that. No thing can do that for you. Just Jesus. The purpose for which you were created, you need to sense that deep within. And no amount of accomplishments or stuff will fill the gap of what your God-given, God-realized, God-enabled purpose can give you. Your relationship with him was meant to be your source of peace, your source of contentment. And then on top of that, then he gives you blessings that are great and tangible. But let's not get our eyes so focused on the stuff so focused on the blessings that we miss the blesser. He's the real source of all the stuff that we really need in good times and in bad. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when you are linked arms, walking with the Prince of Peace, moment by moment, how can you not experience his peace? Again, this is one of those indicators when I'm going through rough and difficult. Yes, the circumstances are legitimately awful and crummy and I want them to change. And many times they should change and it would be good for them to change and God's desiring to change them. But I can still have peace. Why? Because he's with me. And he cares for me. He's not going to leave me floundering in that. 
He's not going to leave you there, ever. You can go through a whole lifetime of difficult and challenging, but he got Jesus, even a lifetime of difficult and challenging. Someday it'll be over. Someday we're going to be all together with him in his presence, and there'll be no more sickness and no more death and no more pain. None of this broken down, beat up, jacked up world that we live in that causes so much hurt to us and the people we love. Someday Jesus is going to put an end to all of it. In the meantime, he's saying, would you let me walk with you through the junk? Would you let me be your peace and your contentment in the midst of the roller coaster journey? Now, super quick, if you're taking notes and just want to jot anything down about developing some of the contentment, go continue to read through Pastor Chip Ingram's book, I Choose Peace, because so much good stuff in there. You continue to dive deep into the verses that we just read, and I think there's some clues that Paul has given us here about how to develop contentment. Three quick things. One is, number one first would be to break the mental link that we have between contentment and circumstances, peace and prosperity. We gotta break this mental link because most of us have this fused together that we can only be content if circumstances are good. We gotta break that mental link that we've got because that's not always true. How many of you ever had a whole lot of good stuff going on and still in here gone, hmm, I'm still not content. Bank account's fine, job's going okay. On the outside, everything seems great. I don't have a whole lot of bad circumstances, but inside, we can still be a mess. Good circumstances don't always equal peace and contentment, do they? The opposite's true. We can have bad circumstances. Many of you could testify to moments where you've been living through bad circumstances and yet because you got this relationship with Jesus that's so tangible, you have peace even though stuff's bad. There's an odd sense of contentment even though the circumstances are rough and you're like, I don't know why I should even be feeling this way. But I do. It's because God's at work. Because you're not looking to the circumstances to find your contentment. So we gotta work on breaking that mental link. And then two other quick things. One, we gotta embrace that this whole thing with contentment's just a learning curve. I'm 48 years old. I'm a whole lot more content than I was at 28 years old. Just because I've had to learn. Paul had to what? Learn what it is to be content. He had to learn. He didn't know it right away. I'm hoping I'll be more content than I am now at 68 than I am at 48, if I make it. But this is a, a, a long journey that we're all on. So give yourself some grace. God is. Don't beat yourself up. And then third, if you're trying to really develop contentment, then you gotta practice letting Jesus meet your deepest needs. And I know that it sounds so Christian-y and kind of cliche, but our default for most of us is what we've been talking about. When we've got a need, we fill it. When we got a need, we fix it. 
When we got a need, we change it. We take matters into our own hands so fast. And just learning to pause long enough to go, I have a need, and just before I go fill it, Jesus, I'm gonna talk to you about it, and I'm gonna ask you to help me with it. I'm gonna pray about it, I'm gonna go to your word and let you minister to me in my deepest parts of me. I'm gonna ask for provision from you. If you've got a better way for my need to be met than the way that I'm gonna go meet my need, then please let me, empower me, have your spirit guide me to the way that is healthy way to meet my need, your way to meet my need, than my way to meet my need, which is often not very healthy. You ever meet those people who are really good at this? It takes practice. It takes time to let Jesus meet our needs. My mom is one of those. My mom's my hero. She's, she's been through more than I can describe. And a ton of it, she has just had to practice letting Jesus meet her own needs. Over and over and over again, a whole bunch of junk going on in her world. Not because of her own doing. And the Prince of Peace is walking with her and she's walking with him. And guess what? That woman radiates Jesus. You can just sense him through her. Let's come at a lifetime of, rather than her just meeting her own needs, she's allowed Jesus to meet him and it shows up. It doesn't mean she doesn't go through difficult stuff. It doesn't mean she bounces back the second stuff happens. But she has this firm foundation and this solid anchor, this rock of Jesus upon which she stands. I've got a couple dear, dear friends who are phenomenal people. But they live with a lifelong physical disability. And what these people have taught me about daily depending on Jesus, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. I don't know how they do it because, I mean, just to often eat a meal or get showered or get dressed, I mean, they have to depend on him for, I mean, stuff that you and I totally take for granted. Going out in public and people staring at them. But they let Jesus meet their needs in small ways all the way up to the big ways and out of that, these people radiate Jesus. And we could look to a ton of you for examples like that too. I I know there's so many of you that you know that the world doesn't have much to offer and that Jesus is really your only source of hope. You tried. You swallowed hook, line, and sinker everything that the world had to offer. And it came up blank or empty. I mean, it was a blessing and you enjoyed stuff and that was great. But somewhere along the line, you knew there was more to contentment and more to peace than anything the world had to offer. But you know who, you know who radiates Jesus the most? It's Jesus. <laughs> and he's, he's our example. And so... That's why so many places in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you get this call to 
set your sights on things above where Christ is. And in, in Hebrews chapter 12, I'll just, I'll just read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this, you guys. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're called to consider Jesus, to think on him, focus on him and his example with regard to our suffering. It puts some context to it. Even Jesus suffered. I mean, he voluntarily gave up heaven and then became human like one of us. There's already a step in the suffering direction. And then many of you know his journey while he was here on earth was filled with one thing after another, one challenge after another, and the cross was the chief moment of that suffering. And it's important for me and you to focus on Jesus and remember Jesus and consider Jesus and all of his suffering that he endured when we're facing suffering. He went through rough stuff. And he went through rough stuff for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus, for going through stuff for me, for suffering for me. I can relate to him and he to me because we share this human condition. But then when it comes to suffering, he went through the worst, way worse than I'll ever go through. He endured the cross for me and you. He went through some suffering. Do you consider that? The night before he goes to the cross, he's so stressed out about it in his humanity that Luke records that he began to sweat blood. That's a medical condition called hematidrosis, and all it means is that when you get super stressed out, your body produces chemicals that break down the blood vessels in your sweat glands. So that when you sweat, blood comes out with it. A side effect of it is it makes your skin extremely sensitive uh, to the touch, like the worst sunburn you've ever had. That's the condition of Jesus' skin before he goes into the beating and the crucifixion some hours later. Jesus went through some difficult circumstances. Before the crucifixion, which was the worst form of execution in his day, they would take the people going to be crucified and they would flog them, and that's what they did with Jesus. They bound Jesus' wrists around a post and they strip him down completely naked and then they whip you with a flog. A flog had a handle with leather straps hanging out the end of it. Buried at the end of the leather straps were chunks of rock and metal and debris. The Roman soldier would take that and lash Jesus with it, and the lashes would wrap around the body of Jesus. When the Roman soldier felt like they had a good hold there, then they would pull loose, and it would just rip to shreds the body of Jesus. Over and over and over again. His body is now getting ripped to ribbons, and he's losing blood faster than 
you can imagine. His heart's now beating at double, triple the rate. They're spitting on him, they're mocking him, hitting him on the head. They twist together a thorn crown and they put it on his head. If it's in keeping with the rest of the way they've been treating him, I don't think they just set that lightly. They probably burrowed that deep down into his brow, the thorns piercing through. Jesus went through some stuff. And now they're going to march him up to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus is going to be crucified. He's so exhausted from this that as he's walking the road up to Golgotha, they make him carry the cross, at least the horizontal beam of the cross, on his shoulders. That could have weighed up to 75, 100 pounds. He keeps falling down on the journey up. They grab a guy to help him from the crowd, carry it the rest of the way up there. They get to where he's going to be crucified, and they nail the cross beams together. And now it's time to nail Jesus to the cross. And I don't describe any of this to be dramatic or gross you out or whatever, but, but rather to show you, one, the greatest picture of love that history has ever seen. Two, it's a graphic picture of where our sin will take us in the broken world that we live in. And three, to show us a suffering servant that knows what it's like to go through brutal stuff, but on behalf of someone else for a really glorious purpose, to rescue me and you. That's why he's there. And they pull that arm back and they grab a spike and when they first started crucifixion, they'd pierce right through the hand. But they found out pretty soon that the bones in your hand are too small and the hand is too fleshy to support the weight of the person hanging on the cross. They'd upright the cross and the spike would pull through the hand and the body would fall down. So more likely, by the time Jesus was being crucified, they pierced him through the wrist. You got two big bones in your arm here, the radius and the ulna, and if you can get right between those two, then that would support the weight of the person up there on the cross. The problem is you got a major nerve that runs right through your wrist and sends feeling out to your fingertips. You ever hit your elbow really badly on something? The pain that Jesus experienced as that spike went through his wrist would be something like taking a pair of pliers, clamping down on that nerve in your elbow, twisting. And just to be fair to the text, it says he was pierced through the hand. The Greek word for hand included the wrist, and so it would still be accurate if he were pierced through the wrist. They drive that spike through, and they do so on the other side. They then would drive a spike through your feet down into the wood below. Now it's time to upright the cross. He's still laying there on the ground on the cross. There's a big hole in the ground, and they would drop the cross into that hole. Typically what would happen is the cross would fall into the hole. The person's shoulders would be separated from their sockets. And now it starts this very slow, agonizing, painful death. Most people die on the cross from suffocation because they just can't breathe. You can't pull up with your shoulders because they're dislocated. And so you'd have to push up off that spike in your feet to fill your lungs with air. And there's our Jesus. 
Every single time he's trying to muster the strength to fill his lungs with air, he's got to push up and the rough wood of that cross rubbing up against the back that's been ripped to shreds by flogging just a few moments before. Oftentimes the Roman soldiers would speed up the death process by coming and breaking the legs of the person up there on the cross so that they could not pull up and they could not push up with their legs and then the suffocation would begin. Jesus hasn't been saying a whole bunch during this endeavor. But one of the things he does say when he's hanging there on the cross looking out over a crowd of people is, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. You can tell how much you love something by what you're willing to sacrifice. Jesus loved me and you so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself. Because while I can describe some of the physiological stuff that goes on during a crucifixion, what I have a hard time describing is at this very moment, Jesus become the sacrificial lamb, capital S, capital L. He's becoming a substitute for me and you. And all of God's wrath and hatred for sin, because God hates sin. Why? Because it separates us from him, and he doesn't want to be separate from us. And in his justice, he's unloading it on his one and only son who voluntarily put himself there. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in that moment, the suffering of Jesus gets very intense. Jesus has been through some stuff for you and for me. And to bring glory to himself. He breathes his last breath. A Roman soldier comes and pierces him through the heart with a spear. They take him down, wrap him up, and they put him inside of a tomb. They seal the tomb shut. And three days later, just like he said he would, he conquered sin and conquered death. And he resurrected from the dead, proving that he had the ability to make dead things live, proving that this life is not all that there is. And he endured this cross and scorned its shame out of love for me and you. For the joy set before him, knowing there was some joy on the other side of the suffering and the difficulty, he said, I'll go. I'll go. Don't tell me he doesn't understand the suffering that you're going through. He knows suffering at its worst. And he went through it so that when you go through suffering, you don't have to do it alone. 
He's with you. He's going to be with you in this life. And he's going to carry you on to the next where all the difficult stuff will be over and the peace that surpasses all understanding now you will be able to see and experience in full for all of eternity. So for me, I'm trading in these lame little coverings that the world has to offer and instead the person, the work of Jesus Christ is the umbrella under which I stand. And so let it rain. Let the circumstances be crazy, bad, good, whatever. One, I know it's going to end someday. Two, I know I'm under his grace, his sovereignty, his covering, his strength, and his peace right here and right now, whatever it is I'm going through. I just rest under him. And you can too. So gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for who you are and your sacrifice for us and enduring so much for us. Lord, I'm just mindful of those that are in the middle of a difficult circumstance here and ask that you would pull them under your umbrella right now. That despite maybe facing some bad news or legitimate horrible circumstances or whatever it is that they're going through, that you'd pull them in under your peace and your contentment. And that it wouldn't even make sense right now why they have a joy. But they've got you. And I thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. You pull us in and under and we're, we're here. Oh, yeah, we like to wander out from under every once in a while, but thank you that you're gracious and patient and always pull us back in. And pray for those that maybe don't have a relationship with you yet. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, if that's you here today, then you just need to have an honest conversation with God right now. He knows the difficulties you're facing. And he sent his one and only son to pull you out of sin, to pull you out of death, and to pull you under his umbrella, under his wing, forever. If you don't have a relationship with him, there's people here that would love to help you with that, people online that can help you with that. But you can just talk to him in your own words, your own way. You just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, it's my, my sin, my disobedience, me going my own direction, me choosing cheap substitutes that messed up my life and I realize that's a dead end street. It's an umbrella that doesn't offer any protection. You and you alone, Lord, I'm beginning to see are the only one that has what my soul needs. And so, please, help me. 
I'm handing the keys of my life over to you. Jesus, you be in the driver's seat from this day on. You are already Lord. Now just be the Lord of my life. And he'll pull you in. And then whether you got plenty or not much at all, what you do have is the God of the universe on your side. You've got his unconditional love and favor. You've got his grace and mercy that is unending and never failing. You've got someone to go with you for the rest of your days. So for that, Lord, we're just so quick to give you the praise and the glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.